Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. My name is Stephen Redekop. For those of you that don't know me, uh, was on staff as an associate pastor here from 2015 till early 2020, right before the pandemic. And since that time, I've been on staff at the FPU Foundation, serving in ministry there as we support the Christ-centered mission of Fresno Pacific University. Go Sunbirds! So that's what we've been up to. Uh, as a family, we've connected at another church in our family of churches at Mountain View Sunnyside. The pastor there is actually your children's pastor's brother. So Ken Wilkinson, Crystal Noctigal's brother, is the pastor there. We've connected there, and it's been a great time there as well. But I'm really excited to be here this morning. I was really excited when when Pastor Brian invited me to share today. And by the way, Brian and Becky are getting a little bit of time away, and they'll be back after next Sunday. But Brian shared with me that we're in this series, this Good News Now series, and... um, there's something really invigorating about engaging with the Gospels. So in the Good News Now series, we're in the Gospels, we're in the book of Acts. I think as time goes on, as we have different experiences in life, we tend to put on a lot of different lenses that we approach the Scriptures with. Those lenses can be aspects of our culture. They can be certain experiences that we've been through personally. We may take on certain views, personal views that we feel very strongly about. And we bring all of that to the Scripture when we read the Bible. And there's something just refreshing about coming to the direct teachings of Jesus in a Gospel book like Luke and looking at the way the Spirit moves in power in the book of Acts that just kind of recalibrates us. So today we're going to be in Luke 15. And we're going to be diving into the three parables that are in this chapter which explain God's heart for pursuing the lost and His relentless love and compassion for those that need to be led to Him or led back to Him. And just a reminder for all of us, when we approach the parables, Jesus often spoke in parables to get His point across to those that needed to hear it or those that wanted to hear it. So those who were curious or spiritually hungry or spiritually inquisitive, they would catch on to that that key takeaway in a parable, while those that were really self-assured or self-righteous, they might miss the point. They might miss the point. So here in Luke 15, Jesus once again chooses the scribes and the Pharisees as the context for His comparison in these parables. Now the Pharisees, they are those religious leaders, and they just can't believe that Jesus spends so much time hanging out with sinners and even eating with them. They're just shocked that Jesus seems to disregard this well-established system of avoiding people like that, of avoiding sinners, of being separate from them, because they think this is what their righteousness demands. But Jesus argues, not only do we have to spend time with sinners, we have to spend time seeking after them. So Jesus gives us this contrast of, of God's heart for the lost in the temptation that many believers, us included, experience to simply ignore people that don't know, yet know Jesus. 
So, if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand right now. We're gonna, we're gonna dive into the scripture. And we're gonna go ahead and read through the first two parables. So, Luke 15, chapter 1 through verse 10. Later on, we will engage with the third parable. So, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm sorry, starting, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners came often to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Please go ahead and be seated at this time. I love that first verse in the first parable. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. These are the very people that religious people and perhaps people like us tend to reject at times. The very people that we sometimes find ourselves wanting to avoid are the very people that Jesus invites us to reach with the good news of the Gospel. These people that were outcasts, they were actually curious. They were drawn to Jesus. And Jesus was more than willing to seek them out. Now this really, really annoyed the Pharisees. And, uh, because Jesus was not, not only was he not fitting in with the rules that they thought would be good, but he was spending time with these other people, with the sinful people, even eating with them. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any you know, length of time, or maybe you're exploring the faith, but maybe you've seen this bumper sticker, um, you've heard the saying, in the world, but not of it. Right? Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, not of this world, or the t-shirt. By the way, I'm not a huge fan of bumper stickers. Um, I, don't, I don't like bumper sticker theology. And ironically, once sometime somebody played a prank on me and loaded up my car with bumper stickers, and they were off the very next day. Um, but in John 17, Jesus says that He doesn't belong to this world, and neither do we. But He also says in verse 15 and 18, He says this, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's us, believers, future believers. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. Then verse 18, Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. 
So, not, not being of the world is our identity as followers of Jesus. We're saved. We're secure. We're seated with Christ. But make no mistake, Jesus sends us into the world. Don't get these reversed from Jesus' intent so that your mission becomes creating a little Christian bubble or a Christian fortress and not seeking the lost. We need interactions with those that don't know Jesus all throughout our week. So in this parable of the lost sheep, Jesus asked the question, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now a hundred sheep is its a pretty modest flock in that context, in that period of time. The average flock could have been anywhere from about 20 sheep to maybe a couple hundred. Nevertheless, you know, missing sheep is a cause for concern. So the shepherd goes to look for this lost sheep, and we're not told whether he puts someone else in charge of his flock uh, while he did that. Perhaps he did. But on the other hand, maybe he didn't. And maybe that's kind of the twist or the emphasis of this parable, is that this lost sheep was so valuable that the person was willing to risk all the others and leave them and go find this lost sheep. I don't know if you've ever lost, perhaps not a sheep, but maybe you've lost a pet or a dog. I want to show you a picture of our family pet, Kona. Kona's been fantastic for our family. Um, she is super cute. I think the other individuals on the picture are cute as well. Those are my daughters. Um, on the picture on the right, you can see how fluffy and cuddly Kona is. Um, when Kona gets... By the way, Kona's never really been lost. But when Kona gets out, she makes a beeline for through the park to the next neighborhood where she thinks life's got to be better over there. And I end up running the fastest mile since high school to get her because I know how valuable she is to our family. Now here's the other thing. This has crossed my mind. You know, we're on, we're on Facebook and we're on our neighborhood Facebook group. And I am convinced that 90% of posts in our neighborhood Facebook group are about lost, white, fluffy, cuddly dogs. So the thought has crossed my mind. You know, if Kona does get lost, I could literally just grab another white fluffy dog from our neighborhood and and we're good to go. But, you know, joking aside, I would I would I would literally drop whatever's going on if our dog was lost and spend the rest of the day looking for Kona cuz she's that valuable uh to our family. She's that valuable to our family. By the way, we lost something else this summer. As you saw, I've got three kids. We have one iPad in our family. Do the math on one iPad, three kids. There's a little bit of a battle for screen time sometimes, right? Well, our iPad went missing this summer, and it was amazing. I loved it. Uh, didn't have to deal with the screen time issues. We didn't have an iPad anymore. It was gone. Uh, well, a wh- short while ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, I found the iPad in our, in Jen and my, in our bedroom, in a shoebox, kind of near the foot of our bed, it was almost like somebody put it there, and it wasn't really lost, but it was lost. Um, I chose I chose not to actually tell the kids that we found it for a couple more weeks, just because I love this this time of no no screens. So you know that's valuable to us too. They're excited; it's back; it's back in the mix. But when you lose something that matters to you, whether it's an iPad or a pet, I mean you're gonna you're gonna try to find it, right? Um, 
you drop everything and you put energy into looking for it. This is God's heart for the lost. The shepherd drops everything to look for that sheep. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God goes to great lengths to search out and save the lost. He goes to great lengths. God flat out pursues people's hearts. Maybe you can think about when you came to faith in Christ and didn't it, didn't it somehow feel like God was pursuing you against your best efforts to run your own life? Your heart was softened and God pursued you. Uh, it's almost sometimes it's like the harder someone tries to remain the Lord of their own life, the harder God makes it for them to do that. And eventually they say yes to Jesus. I think about the many baptism testimonies I've heard over the course of my life. And it's just, to me, it's astonishing that in a lot of these testimonies, it's exactly that. It's like the person did this, 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 went down that path, went down that path. And somehow they just couldn't resist coming back to a life of following Jesus because God pursues people by His Holy Spirit. Verse 5 and following, And when they found it, when He has found it, He will joyfully carry it home on His shoulders. When He arrives, He will call together His friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with Me. I have found My lost sheep. He's full of joy. He calls together a bunch of others to celebrate with Him. And Jesus compares the joy of, of this lost sheep being found to an incredible response in heaven. Verse 7, In the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's something special about even one sinner turning to God. And Jesus is committed to finding that person. Jesus died on the cross for all of us, but He would have died for one of us. And by the way, we're supposed to be just as committed to this task of finding, of searching out the lost. Notice at the beginning of the parable it says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Other translations say, suppose one of you has lost. Or suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And then on from there. So, suppose this is us. This is how we're to respond as well as followers of Jesus. It could be your friend who you long to see come to faith in Christ. It could be your friend who has committed their life to Christ, but now they've walked away in some way. It could be a coworker. You know, there's, there are creative ways that we can engage with to go after these lost sheep. In our neighborhood, for whatever reason, we tend to have a lot of young families and there's a lot of kids out in the front riding their bikes and scooters. And there's a lot of those caution signs up all over the street. Slow down. And I'm yelling at trucks as they go by at 60 miles an hour. But we're out there and it's easy to kind of rub shoulders with people in our community. So just by me going outside in the front yard, I kind of, I know what's going on with our neighbors. I know what's going on with their kids. It's a great way to, um, to connect with people that need Jesus Christ. We're going to move on to the next parable. And you'll see the same trajectory is followed. Lost, found, rejoice. It's in every one of these parables in Luke 15. In this parable, a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. This is equivalent to one day's 
wages. So in the, again, in that context, that's fairly significant. Verse 8, second part says, Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it, until she finds this coin? i got to tell you, I'm notorious for losing things, especially in our house. And then I will literally kind of sweep through the house looking for something. And I can't find it for the life of me. And then my wife, Jen, will be like, it's right there. Okay, it's Some people are better than others at finding things that are right there. And um, again, it's this idea of dropping everything and having a singular focus on finding what is lost. I was thinking, you know, what would be a modern day example of, of the lost coin? Dropping everything and finding the lost coin. Uh, I don't know how much you, you know about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I mean, it's kind of fascinating. Um, I don't know if you heard um, of the story this past summer where there was a, a guy working as a chief technology officer for a few years, and as part of his comp- compensation, he was given a sum of Bitcoin, about 7,000 Bitcoin, which at the time, that was, you know, maybe a few dollars per Bitcoin. Well, fast forward to now, and even after a lot of volatility and different things happening, one Bitcoin's worth about 42K, about $42,000. So his Bitcoin value now, a few years later, is just shy of $300 million if he wanted to convert that to regular currency, okay? But here's the problem. He doesn't have his Bitcoin password anymore. He had it in three places. Two of them are long gone. One of them is on a special flash drive that he needs a code, he needs a password to get into that flash drive to get the password on that flash drive to unlock his Bitcoin. And he can't do that. He's only got 10 tries. He's 0 for 8. So he has two more tries to get his $300 million. Two more tries. Um, I think at this point, he's just kind of waiting until hacker technology gets up to speed and he can get into this thing. Uh, you know, I get upset when recently I lost a $200 gift card to Ruth Chris. I cannot imagine, um, you know, losing $300 million. Back to the parable. Once this woman finds the coin, she rejoices with her friends and neighbors. And this is, again, it's compared to the joy in the presence of God's angels when a sinner repents. If you're taking notes, you can write down this. Repentance has real consequences Heavenly celebration. Isn't that amazing? I think we sometimes we take things so casually, we forget when somebody repents, when someone trusts Jesus, there is a celebration in heaven. A celebration. And, uh, you know, th- sometimes I think we forget about just the spiritual reality behind our physical world. And what's happening that leads people to faith in Christ and this celebration in heaven? I remember a number of years ago I talked to this couple and they had a young adult who was kind of wayward and they were pretty stressed about it. And I was like, so what, you know, what are you going to, what are you guys going to do? And they said, we're, we're going to up the temperature of the Holy Spirit in their life by praying and fasting. And they said it just really calm, calmly. So, you know, their first strategy wasn't to like, hey, they're not leaving the house. They're not doing this. They're going to fast and pray and they're going to up the temperature of the Holy Spirit in this young adult's life. So, I want you to also notice this incredible joy that both the man who finds the sheep 
and the woman who finds the coin experience. This joy is in direct contrast to this grumbling of the Pharisees against Jesus for spending time with sinners, for caring about those that are lost. So we can, in a sense, we can choose comfort in the status quo, or we can step into some adventure and try to reach some people for Christ, and we can experience this joy. Ask yourself, are you too comfortable in your walk with Jesus? Are you too comfortable? Are we too self-righteous to spend time with people outside of our faith community? You know, are we focused on reaching the people that God's already brought into our context? That could be in your neighborhood, as I mentioned, at your workplace. It could be in our church buildings, in the programs that we're already offering and people are already connecting. Now, as we move to the final parable, you'll recognize this is, this is likely the most well-known parable, and we saw the video from the Bible Project earlier. It's known as the lost son or the prodigal son. Uh, others make the case for a different title, which I really resonate with. And the title would be The Forgiving Father. The Forgiving Father. Pay special attention to the Father's heart as we go through this parable. Let's pick it up in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Now, i got to tell you, now that I work for the FPU Foundation and Plan Giving, when I read this, I thought, he could have put the money in a charitable remainder trust, <laughs> benefiting charity while also providing an ongoing reasonable income for his son without his son blowing it all at once. But, you know, that's not how it worked back then. And let's face it, people, even today, have a tendency to blow large sums of money. I'm always, you know, I don't know why, but I'm always surprised when I hear of certain professional athletes that after a five, ten-year career, two years later, they've got nothing. Um, So even even though this younger son blew this inheritance in a hurry, interestingly enough, he was resourceful enough to come up with a plan B and put that into action. So he persuades a local farmer, hey, hire me, let me take care of those pigs in that field over there. And as he does that, he becomes so desperate, he's like, wow, that that pig feed, uh, that looks, you know, I should probably have some of that if I want to keep, keep living. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in a rough spot in your life. I don't know if you've had a prodigal experience but sometimes because of our own poor choices you know one poor choice leads to another poor choice and like the younger son all of a sudden we have some options in front of us they're all pretty sketchy to be honest but somehow we're like well i guess that looks pretty good like that pig food looks kind of good um and then you kind of have a a moment and you're like how did i even get here this is ridiculous you know and so that's where the son comes to he has this the younger son has this epiphany And he thinks, hey, even the hired servants back at home, they have plenty of food. That's got to be better than being here and wishing I could eat this pig feed. So his heart softens and he decides that he's going to repent of his wayward ways and he's going to go home and ask his father simply to receive him as a servant. 
Not as a son, but as a hired servant. Let's pick it up again in verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. You know, verse 20 really captures my attention and it softens my heart every time I read it. And if you get one thing out of this morning, remember this. At the beginning of verse 20, it says, And while he was still a long way off. This is the Father's heart for those who come to Him. The Son is a long way off. He hasn't even given His repentance speech yet. And the Father's heart of compassion and mercy that ends up going down to His feet to the point where He throws off all cultural norms and He runs to His Son and He embraces Him while He was still a long way off. I hope this gives you hope this morning for either yourself or for someone that you know that seems like they're a long way off. God hasn't forgotten about them. In fact, He sees them. And in fact, He's pursuing them. So this is incredibly encouraging. Now, in the minds of a first century Jewish person, the younger son's behavior would have been outrageous. Um, totally disloyal. And the reference to the pig and the pig feed would have just been the lowest of the low. Um, But as we think about this, I hope it wells up compassion in our hearts that sometimes become hard. I think one of the best things we can do, honestly, to prepare prodigals to come back to Jesus is to invest in people before they're a prodigal. Before they're a prodigal. And a lot of times this could be um, with kids and youth. I think of kids' ministry. I think of the commitments that kids make when they're young And even if they go off on all sorts of tangents, the Holy Spirit uses those earlier commitments to one day bring them back. I came across a really interesting quote about kids' ministry. i got to show it to you this morning. Pastor out of Brooklyn, New York, he says, People aren't doing a local church a favor by volunteering in kids' ministry. You could also read youth ministry into that, I think. The kids' ministry is doing us a favor... Because the kids are a source of joy that God uses to form our hearts. If you've ever served in kids' ministry, you know that's true, right? You get back from the Wednesday night program. You get back from serving on a Sunday morning or from that uh, VBS or Summer Blast or whatever it is, and you, you feel the joy in your heart. Not only that, you had the privilege to introduce kids to Jesus. And there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? So when kids come to faith in Christ, that is real. That's what you hear about when you hear baptism testimonies. Even when people go off the track, yeah, but when I was this age, I accepted Christ. So, encourage you. Get, get connected to kids and youth ministry. It's a great way to minister to people that one day are going to need that original commitment in their life. So, meanwhile, the older son's out in the field working. He hears the music. He hears the dancing. And he asked the servants, you know, what, what is the deal? What's going on? The servant says, your brother's back. 
And your father's got this huge celebration going. He killed the fattened calf. In fact, your brother's wearing the finest robe. He's got a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. These are luxury items in that day. He's been fully restored. The older brother cannot believe it. He is super ticked. He wouldn't even go into the party. And when his father comes out to plead with him, notice the father again, he comes out to both the younger son and the older son. Same attitude, same acceptance. The older son files his complaint. Hey, my brother squandered everything. Why would you receive him in this way? And the father says this, verse 31 and following. Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Notice this this unresolved tension in this parable with the bitter attitude of the older brother. And yet, for us, there's a warning or there's an encouragement that no matter which son we might resonate with, we can say this. Here's, here's a final point if you want to take notes. We must turn away from both self-degrading disobedience and self-righteous obedience. Both of those can be a trap. So whether you find yourself in the, the role of the younger son or the older son, there's a word for us today. You know, the older son, pretty good at keeping the rules, but that led to self-righteousness. And what was his relationship like with the Father? Similarly, for those of us that have followed Jesus for a long time, you know, sometimes it can become about checking off the box. And what we really need to do is, is re-engage a vibrant relationship with Jesus led by the Holy Spirit. So the Father's acceptance of the younger son didn't mean the rejection of the older. And God's love of tax collectors, sinners, people on the margins today, people that you don't agree with, people that you don't like, people that aren't like you, um, his love of those people doesn't negate his love for Pharisees, scribes, and other types of religious people like perhaps us today. It's not an either or. God's offer of forgiveness and acceptance is available to all. So you see this incredible thread in both all of these parables, lost, found, rejoice. And as we close and the worship team comes up, prepares for a, for a, a closing song, I want to say this. God is always at work drawing people to Himself and He invites us into the process. So be aware. Be alert. Be open to how God is working around you and join Him in what He's already doing. I like to assume that God is drawing everybody that I know that doesn't know Jesus. I like to assume that He's already at work drawing them to Himself. So I just have to step in and join in to what God's already doing. Um, if you're a Christian today, you can probably remember when you weren't. You were lost. You're saved by God's grace. God pursued you. And this should give you great compassion for others and a passion to reach them as well. You know, as these people went to great lengths to find what was lost, we can do the same. We can pray fast. We can seek people out. You know, evangelism requires a lot of time, presence, and energy. But it also provides a lot of excitement. If we kind of fall back into creating our own little bubble, that creates safety. But let's step into an exciting life 
led by Jesus to reach other people. Some of you are prodigals, or perhaps there's prodigals in your life or your family right now. Don't lose hope. Remember verse 20, while he was still a long way off. There is always hope. And take, you know, claim those earlier experiences. If, if someone you know is a prodigal and you remember their point of faith engagement with Jesus, hang on to that. Proclaim that. Remember that. God hasn't forgotten. When your friend, your spouse, your son, your neighbor, your daughter, when they come back to Christ, or they come to Christ for the first time, you're going to experience a ton of joy. And just remember that that is just the tip of the iceberg. The amount of celebration in the heavenly realms is off the charts when people come into relationship with Christ. This is why Jesus came, so that the lost could be found. And this is our mission as well. Let's pray together. Great God, thank you for these incredible stories, these parables that have touched our hearts today. God, when we are a long way off, You see us, You haven't forgotten us, and Your Spirit is active in drawing us to You. God, we pray for everyone today who feels somehow far off from You or on a wayward path. God, would You draw them back to Yourself this morning? We pray for those that we care about, our family members, our friends, our neighbors that need to be found by You. We know You're already at work drawing them to Yourself. God, we want to join You in that. Give us opportunities. Give us eyes to see what's happening in their lives and how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we commit the rest of this morning and our week to You to be led by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.